BCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And friends, thank you for joining us today here on Crosstalk. You know, I remember when President Trump took office, uh, the congresswoman who represents the city of Milwaukee where we are uh, in the House of Representatives was putting out email, email after email after email, calling upon people to resist. As a matter of fact, when President Trump was inaugurated January of 2017, she said, as a proud Democrat, I want President-elect Trump to see me front and center as he's sworn in. I want him to see exactly what his opposition looks like. When he sees me, I want him to see the resistance. Well, friends, oftentimes we see resistance in the political sense, such as resisting policies or legislation or even standing in resistance against nominees. We've also seen resistance in the area of crime and violence where individuals have resisted arrests. But in the realm of biblical Christianity, there's another type of resistance that will be our focus today. It's Christian resistance, but not perhaps in the way you think. Today, we're going to focus on learning to defy the world or resist the world and to follow Christ. Joining us today, we welcome James Spencer, president of D.L. Moody Center, an independent nonprofit organization inspired by the life and ministry of Dwight Moody. He's the author of the book we're discussing today, Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. James, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Good Uh, to be here. So what prompted you to write a, a book on this topic? You know, it's interesting. I've been interested in this topic since around 2007 and just now got around to writing a book on it. And so uh, it's been on my mind. I've actually written a couple of unpublished essays uh, on similar topics, talking about um, Christian resistance as a necessary component of our spiritual formation Mm -hmm. and how it is that we go about really um, navigating the expectations and social conventions that are sort of put upon us and how those can shape and form us into something other than Christ. And so to that extent, we need to begin resisting those things, because our goal as Christians is obviously to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But the world doesn't have a vested interest in that. And so there's there's constant pressure that we need to be pushing against and saying, no, no, I I understand that I have to live in the world. I understand that I have to navigate these these various systems and processes and, and people that we run into in the world. But at the same time, I need to make sure that I am conforming to the image of Christ. So let's define our terms here at the outset. Uh, You know, sometimes we think of this in negative terms, like a a child resisting his parents' instruction or an evildoer resisting arrest. So help us understand what we mean by resistance. Yeah, I'll I'll explain it a couple ways. I'm I'm an old gym rat, and so, uh, you know, my, my previous career, I was a personal trainer. And so I used to work people out with weights, and uh, that's often called resistance training. Hmm. And so you have this pressure that you're trying to push around, pull around, and um, it's a good form of resistance. We want to resist because as we resist, our, our muscles break down and then ultimately become stronger. And so there's this positive form of resistance that we uh, go into as we're trying to build ourselves up and, and build up our bodies in the gym. And so that's an active form of resistance. Those are things that we go about to do in order to make ourselves stronger. Mm-hmm. But the other type of resistance that I think I had in mind as I was writing the book is a picture of a, a dam. Uh, I remember going out and seeing Hoover Dam at one point, and you've got all this sort of tranquil water that is sitting up against this huge concrete wall. And, you know, you can be fooled into thinking that there's no real pressure there, that the, you know, <laughs> everything's peaceful. It looks fairly tranquil, but that wall is exerting a great deal of resistance on that water. It's pushing back on it to keep it in place. And I, I think that's another great picture of the way that we can think about Christian resistance. It's, it's not so much that we are um, trying to fight back against something, uh, not all the time at least. Sometimes it's just about keeping a strong boundary for ourselves hmm. and making sure that you know, things don't get in or, or that things stay in their proper place. And there's a clear separation between us 
and the world, just like there's a clear separation between the concrete and the water. Yeah. Um, James, uh, Scripture tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you, but but oftentimes man resists against God and gives into Satan's devices. Why Why is it so natural to resist God when we should be doing just the opposite? Yeah, I, I think we go back to the creation story. I mean, you look at Genesis 1, where God creates the heavens and the earth, and what we really see there is that God is sovereign, God is wise, and God is benevolent. And he's, he's sovereign in that whatever he says goes, he's wise, and that he orders the world in such a way that everything sort of works in harmony. And he's benevolent in that the way he orders the world is for our good. And I think that most of the time when we resist, we follow the pattern that happens in Genesis 3, where really what's going on between the serpent and the woman is he's convincing her that God is not sovereign, wise, and benevolent. He fools her into thinking that God has it out for the human couple, that he's holding them back, that he's not as unassailable as he first appears, and that this world that he's created around them may appear to be ordered, but it's not the the height of order that could possibly occur if humans were really in charge. Mm. And so I think even from that point on, we've had a tendency to question God's way and to ignore his wisdom in order to follow after our own. And that's where I think the roots of our resistance of God really do come from, is because we don't experience him as sovereign, wise, and benevolent. We don't trust him to be sovereign, wise, and benevolent. And so if we can't trust him to be that, there's no reason that we should listen to him, obey him, and really follow after his ways. James Spencer, our guest here today on Crosstalk, author of the book Christian Resistance, and again, subtitled Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. You indicate that one of the biggest challenges that Christians face uh, is is distractions. Uh, comment on that, if you would. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of rooted in the story of uh, Martha and Mary. It's the only place in the, in the Bible that I've seen that uses the word distraction. Um, but in that narrative, what's going on is Mary, or I'm sorry, Martha is sort of going about caring for all of the uh, social conventions that would be associated with hospitality. She's got guests, and so um, there are certain tasks that she needs to take care of that are in keeping with the expectations of of a guest who would come into her home. And I think that as she does those things, which are not necessarily bad things, what she ends up doing is elevating the task over the people. She starts to value hospitality over the people that she's hosting. And so when she comes and talks to Jesus and says, Jesus, why isn't why don't you make Mary help me? He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. In other words, Mary has chosen to sit at Jesus' feet and listen and pay attention to the guest, as opposed to being consumed with all of the tasks and all of the expectations and all of the social conventions that Martha decided to attend to. And I think that we have a very similar problem in today's world. We have a lot of things that feel extremely urgent, that they don't, they exert pressure. They don't want us to wait to take care of them. They just feel like they have to be done right at this second. We have to do them now. And the expectation is that we do them right at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, answering a text message is a great example, right? Yep, yep. Many of us, you know, you used to be, you'd get a phone call, you could call somebody back five hours later. But today, when you're getting a text message, it feels like that requires an instantaneous response. And so as we're busied by all of these different things that are around us in the world, all the information that's coming at us, you know, all of the expectations that are placed on us, it's easy for us to make Jesus a back burner issue because he's not pressuring us. He's not putting those expectations on us. Now, ultimately, he requires a lot from us. But he's not standing in trying to be the most urgent issue that we've, we're attending to. All the other things are doing that. But Jesus is sort of willing to sit in the background until we figure out for ourselves he should be in first place. Yeah. And so that's what I mean by distraction. I think we just start to take our eyes off what our real priorities should be mm-hmm. and begin to attend too much to the things that really aren't going to matter in a week or a month, or a year. And as you point out, those distractions may not in themselves be bad, but but may not be that number one priority we need to be focusing on. 
Correct. I mean, I think there's something to be said. The way I like to phrase it is, um, God is always the most relevant actor and factor in any given situation that we face. Mm. And so if we're not making God the most relevant thing in the moment, we're not if we're not recognizing his active presence in the moment and giving our primary attention to him we're distracted we're misrecognizing what is actually relevant in the moment and we're going to end up responding not to god but we're going to end up responding to the situation i'm wondering if you're able to repeat that because that kind of sounds like a good mission statement <laughs> i'll give it a shot i i really do think you know if you if we when we begin to prioritize things in our environment over God, when we make things more relevant than God is to us, mm-hmm. we run the risk of responding not to God, but to the situations we're in. Yeah, yeah. You also make an interesting point that Christian resistance takes the form of obedience to God. Flesh that out for us, if you would. Yeah, I mean, if we think about the easiest way to defy the world and follow Christ, what we're really talking about there is rejecting the world's wisdom and accepting God's wisdom. We don't fear men, we fear God. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, what our, our logical response is there is just to obey God's teaching. Now, obedience isn't just a set of practices. I think it's a way of life. It's a way of learning to discern. Hebrews 5.14 talks about this, that the mature have learned and they've entered into a state where they understand how to discern good and evil. And so that is uh, associated with the sort of obedience that I'm talking about, where we've been so trained that we understand how to discern good and evil. We understand how to discern God's path from the paths of the world. But ultimately, obedience is a crucial part of the way that we resist. And I think it's so crucial because um, it's possible for us to know things about God. It's possible for us to say something like, God is sovereign, but never really act that out in our lives. And if we're unwilling to know God experientially by putting ourselves in his hands, actually experiencing that sovereignty for ourselves by doing things that may not seem to make sense, but accord with obedience, we're, we're never really going to know him in the fullest sense that we could. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think obedience is so crucial. Our practices really do put us in the hands of God in ways that oftentimes we don't even think about. You mentioned that of knowing God, and you also stress uh, that to resist, one must know the Scriptures. And uh, earlier, too, in our interview, you talked about, you know, when we get this text message, we feel like we must respond. But the Scriptures are are, are a wonderful text message to us there. So comment about knowing the Scriptures and how that connects to to this aspect of resistance. Sure. You know, I, I go to Psalm 1 on this. You know, um, we always have choices. We can sit in the seat of mockers, we can stand in the way of scoffers, or we can learn to love the law of the Lord. We can read it and meditate on it day and night. And so we have to learn to delight in the scriptures. Tell you what, we're delighting the wisdom of the world. Let's pick up with that right after the break. Would not fear me to, to ask a big question here right before the music sounded here. But friends, we'll be back in just a moment. We're talking with James Spencer today, president of DL Moody Center, and talking about the topic of Christian resistance, learning to defy the world and follow Christ. We'll be right back. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, have scientists finally solved the mystery of the origin of life? No, they haven't, Chris. And many of their claims reveal their desperate state. Recently, a simple microbe was discovered around a deep-sea volcanic vent. It was totally unique, and it was hoped that this microbe would tell us something about the origin of life. But now that this microbe has been well studied, it was found not to be primitive at all. It is equally complex as many of the microbes alive today and could not be considered an ancestor of any of them. And that's the point we can learn. Even the simplest living things are unimaginably complex. Each is different from the other, and yet each bears the signature of having been created by a very intelligent designer. None of these got here through random evolution. They were created by an intelligent creator back in Genesis. For more on the importance of creation, visit our website at icr.org. 
We're talking about Christian resistance today. Yes, learning to defy the world and to follow after Christ. Doesn't come naturally, friends. We're talking about that today with its author of the book, James Spencer, who's president of D.L. Moody Center. And uh, just before we talk more about the book, just give us a word about D.L. Moody Center, if you would, James. Yeah, happy to. So D.L. Moody Center is uh, dedicated to preserving and really echoing D.L. Moody's ministry of evangelism and discipleship in today's world. We own a property out in Northfield, Massachusetts, where uh, D.L. Moody actually lived and did a great deal of his ministry. He actually started a school for girls, uh, Northfield Seminary for Girls, uh, was the first school he ever started, and it was for young, underprivileged girls to come and get a biblically-oriented education. Uh, he held big summer conferences out in the Northfield campus, and there's a 2,300-seat auditorium that D.L. Moody built and uh, in a small town of, uh, in Western Mass. Uh, the the auditorium actually almost seats uh, would almost seat the entire town even today, right. and so uh, pretty fascinating ministry. But that's what we get to do. Um, we also do a digital archive project, and we preserve D.L. Moody's letters and papers, as well as uh, letters and papers about D.L. Moody. And that's available for free at our website, moodycenter.org. Okay, again, get more info, ladies and gentlemen, at moodycenter.org. We're talking today about the book Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. And uh, just before that break came upon, I had asked you about the the connection between resisting and the Scriptures. And you took us to Psalm chapter 1, so go ahead and flesh that out further for us. Sure. What I like about Psalm chapter 1 is it, it isn't just about reading the Scriptures. It's about learning to delight in the law of the Lord. And so I think that what, what Psalm 1 is really trying to convey in these first couple of verses is that, you know, the one who is blessed rejects the wisdom of the world. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or seat, sit in the seat of scoffers. Those things are not areas that he has an interest in. But the one who is blessed delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. And so I think that's the sort of biblical intelligence that we need to cultivate. It's one that isn't rooted in sort of an academic or simply intellectual knowledge. It's rooted in this passion where Bible study becomes less of a chore and more like breathing. Wow. Um, And that's critically important. Where would we be without oxygen, and uh, that necessitates, the, you know, the importance of the Scriptures itself to us as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the only other passage I would even point to in Deuteronomy 17, you know, the, the king is required to write out a copy of the law every year. And part of the reason that that was the case was so that the king remembered that he is under the authority of God. It was this act, almost a symbolic act, that the king would do it surely kept him familiar with the scriptures, but it was also a reminder that he sits underneath yeah. God. And so as we read the scriptures, we're really doing both of those. We're enjoying God, but we're also recognizing our place. We're recognizing that God is our sovereign and that the wisdom found in this book that we get to read as much as we want um, is actually the way we should be living our lives. We live in a period of time when me is stressed. I mean, I need my me time. It's all about me. But instead, you talk about the importance of denying that me or our own desires and agendas. That's not easy for us to do. No, it's it's something that I think is really challenging. And I, I honestly think it's really challenging just practically to work itself out, you know, if, even if we were predisposed to do it. Um, it's not always transparent what exactly God would have us do as opposed to what we would want to do. And so as we think about resisting that sort of idea of Christian resistance, part of what we're resisting is the world, and part of what we're resisting is ourselves. Mm. We're resisting being carried away by our own passions, our own interests, our own agendas. Um, you know, again, I go to a biblical story, something like um, what we find in Judges 11 and 12 with uh, Jephthah. And, uh, you know, Jephthah has this sort of motive for helping out the Israelites. He's going to become king of of this tribe that kicked him out when he was younger. And uh, even though God gives him the victory, Jephthah ultimately overplays his hand, makes an errant vow, and ends up sort of having to um, sacrifice his own daughter at the end of the narrative. And so what, what we see there is that when we chase after our own agendas, 
even if we're doing so sort of in lockstep with God, we begin to drag him along with us as opposed to following him. We begin to sort of try to conscript God to serve our purposes as opposed to allowing us to be used by him to serve his purposes. Let's bring the word temptation into our discussion. If you would address the matter of temptation and resistance. Yeah, I you know, there's there's a a lot of passages that talk about resisting temptation. And um, what I find here is that temptations are sort of all around us. <laughs> there's always the temptation to do something other than follow God. Mm-hmm. And, and I tend to think, you know, if we if we set aside, you know, some of the major sins that we would all sort of recognize as such, I think one of the big temptations is something that we don't often notice. It's that we decide that our priorities, that our interests, that our attention are going to be given away to something other than God. That all of a sudden, these worries and the anxieties of life, which oftentimes are warranted, they tend to overshadow Christ. And we're tempted to just respond to these anxieties that we feel. We're tempted to chase after the goals that we've set. Um, as opposed to really allowing God to set the agenda for us, to set our goals for us, and just following him moment to moment. James talks a little bit about this when he talks about, you know, hey, don't don't say I'm going to go here or there and, and have these transactions, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, say, if the Lord wills. Right. I think that's sort of this gesture toward the idea that, listen, God really is to be guiding us mm-hmm. more often than we think, and so we should be careful not to make our plans and run ahead of them. And so part of the temptation we just need to resist is setting our own course. And so that requires us to be patient. It requires us to seek out God's counsel, and it requires us to really be discerning. But I think most of all, it just requires us to slow down, which is something that most of us just don't like to do. No, we don't. Uh, Matter of fact, you wrote, we need a space to have the sort of slow, deliberate dialogues that reflect our deep conviction that discerning the Spirit is crucial to offering faithful testimony. And many will frankly say, I, I'm busy from the time I get up to from the time I go to bed. I don't have time for something like this. So address that that importance of time. Yeah, I think the way I've phrased it and the way I've talked about it in the past is that we can't dismiss prayer, discernment, Bible study as urgent activities. We often think that they're just important activities, Hmm. and I throw that just in there um, for effect, but I think, you know, oftentimes the important activities get shoved out of the way by the urgent activities, and we always say, well, we've got more time for the important things later, but the reality is that prayer, Bible study, practicing our Christian faith is the most urgent thing we can possibly do. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a question of, I don't have time for those things. It's a question of, what does it say that I don't make time for those things? What am I actually telling the world when I don't carve out moments in my day to pray? What am I really telling the world when I don't make time to spend, uh, you know, moments reading God's Word? What does that say? Yeah. Well, it says that God isn't important. It says that what, what this whole religion thing, this whole faith thing, it's not a real urgent deal. We can kind of set it aside because it's, you know, whatever. Until a crisis comes. Until a crisis comes. And then we're, we're far more prone to get on our knees when there's a crisis. But the reality is God is active and present among us every day. Yeah. And so, you know, just in the same way we wouldn't ignore our spouse or, um, you know, our friends or something like that until there's a crisis, right? Um, we shouldn't be ignoring God that way either. So I think time is a really significant part of what we give back to God. It's, it's something that we can use to truly be faithful to Him if we're attending to that time wisely. And so what I always tell people is, you know, don't think that you're going to squeeze prayer somewhere into your busy day, right? Rethink your busy day. <laughs> don't mm. put yourself in a situation where you have to run from one thing to yeah, the next. Yeah. Create that space. Figure out ways to manage your time so that prayer becomes a part of what you do every day. Yeah, and I don't know who set up it. They talked about, I have so much to get accomplished today. 
you know, I it, just the importance of uh, that I must take time to pray. I mean, it just cr- prayer is critical. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to get these things accomplished unless I stop and pray. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we see it with other things. Hebrews 10 talks about, um, you know, let's not neglect assembling together. Yeah. And if we think about our, our Sunday morning gatherings, you know, whether however it is that we do that uh, at this point, um, but, you know, primarily what we're trying to do is say it's, it's inefficient for us to get together for an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday morning and, and worship God. There's no apparent pragmatic utility to doing that, right? In the eyes of the world, it's not a productive time, right? But for Christians, it's an extremely productive time mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's this moment where cultivating community, not only with God, but with others who are like-minded with us. It's where we, we get to recognize that, hey, I'm not the only one who believes these things. I'm not the only one who's committed to these right. things. All of these people in this room and all of the people at the various other churches on Sundays are doing the same thing right now. And, and so it gives us a sense of coordination within the body of Christ. It does. And it also, you know, as, as that passage in Hebrew talks about, that we need to exhort one another, encourage one right. another as we see the day approaching. And yeah. certainly when we meet together, and, and sadly, there are just many who are just return, you know, just look at the, uh, well, I'll just go online and watch my service today. And, and they yeah. don't have that interaction. And we do need to be among God's people. That's right. Yeah, and I think it's becoming an increasing trend with uh, the younger generations where they're willing to uh, stay home and watch, you know, whatever sort of content in lieu of going to church. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something that we need to address and reorient the younger generations to, um, as well as, you know, obviously every generation needs to be there. Right. Uh, Dr. James Spencer with us here today, his book, Christian Resistance. Um, You write about a term we don't often hear about today. Uh, you mentioned once early in our interview, and it's our need to learn to fear God. So define for us, what do we mean by fearing God? Yeah, so when I think about fearing the Lord, um, from an Old Testament perspective uh, in particular, what I would say that means is that God becomes the most relevant actor and factor in our lives. Is that we, we, so, uh, we have such reverence for Him, we recognize Him as as being not only authoritative, but involved in everything that we're doing. And we recognize him as the one who gives us possibilities that are beyond anything we could ask or think, that we always attend to him, regardless of what else is going on. And so fear the Lord is a perspective on life, whereby we recognize God as the most relevant actor and factor, regardless of what else is happening. Hmm. That's that's the way I would describe fear of the Lord. Wow. Uh, Christian Resistance, uh, before the break, uh, how is it our listeners can obtain a copy of the book? Uh, they can get it on Amazon.com. It's available in Kindle or print. And uh, they can find out some more information at our other website, which is usefultogod.org. Um, but uh, to purchase the book, Amazon.com. Okay, and usefultogod.org. Friends, we'll be back with some more discussion on this matter of Christian resistance. A little bit later, we'll also give you opportunity to call in on the broadcast as well with your questions or brief comments. We'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Crosstalk, coming your way from the VCY America Network. One of the prevalent conflicts in society is the battle over gender and marriage. We are flooded with stories pertaining to drag queen story hours, the restroom debates, gender reassignment surgeries, pronoun identification, biological males on female athletic teams, and so much more. These issues are not only confronting schools and businesses, but they have also encroached inside the church. Many are left wondering how to deal with these matters. The book, The Marriage and Gender War, addresses these issues head-on by using the absolute standard for morality as found in God's Word, and is edited by Bodie Hodge and Ken Ham. The book is designed to equip students, parents, Christian leaders, and others to uphold the truths of Scripture on these critical issues. The Gender and Marriage War is available for a donation of $16 by calling VCY at 1-800-729-9829.
This is Crosstalk on VCY America. Dr. James Spencer with us today. Christian Resistance, a book that he has recently authored, uh, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. Uh, yes, I know it's not uh, not part of our fabric of society today, friends, but uh, it is part of the fabric of Scripture itself, and we're discussing that matter today. Just telling you how you can obtain a copy of the book, looking at uh, usefultogod.org has more info on it, uh, available online as well, uh, uh, various uh, Amazon he had mentioned. And I understand, uh, James, that uh, those who obtain the book, they're actually, the monies that come from this book are actually being poured right back into ministry. Correct. Yeah. The, all the all the profits for the book are going to uh, the Al Moody Center. They're going to support our, our upcoming campaign, Go Dark, Shine Bright, and uh, the various other ministry endeavors we're doing. Very good. Okay, uh, just a few more questions here in the book, and we'll open some phone lines here. Uh, you've got an interesting sentence on page 34 in your book. It says, as our attention goes, so goes our perspective of the world. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, I think it's just a matter of focus. So um, we've all had sort of the experience. Let's say we're, uh, uh, well, this happens to me more than I'd like to admit, quite honestly. Um, if I'm If I'm driving, and uh, I think the older I get, the more this happens. But if I'm driving and I look off to the side of the road, I tend to drift that direction. Hmm. And so as my attention focuses somewhere else, my body tends to follow. Um, hopefully not uh, to the point that I get into an accident, but there's certainly a, a sense in which whatever it is that we are focusing on, whatever it is that we're attending on, we tend to orient to that thing. We tend to sort of shift ourselves all the way over to it. And so as we think about attending, what we're attending to in our daily lives, we have that same thing happen. It may not be a physical orientation, but it begins to be sort of a mental orientation, a a disposition that we develop, and a posture that we approach uh, the world with. And I think that, you know, for Christians, what we're trying to develop is what I would call a discipled posture. And that discipled posture, where we really orient ourselves to the world and stand before the world and in the world as disciples of Jesus Christ, only really comes when we attend to God and when we attend to Christ. Um, You also write about uh, different points in Scripture. We see uh, where God did something momentous, and then the there was the gathering of stones that were piled up, so when generations would come, they'd see this stack of stones and say, what meaneth these stones? You talk about the matter of preservation. That's important, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I, I think that memory, um, and memory was something that I, I worked with in my, in my dissertation, so it's kind of an old nostalgic topic for me. But I, I think it's important for us to preserve things. Uh, as long as they, that preservation is still pointing us to Christ. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to get caught up in just having these sort of sacred objects that become sacred all on their own. Mm-hmm. These objects are important because they remind us of something that God has done. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that's something we, you know, at D.L. Moody Center, where we're trying to preserve D.L. Moody's legacy, we, we struggle with that a good bit. We always circle back around to it and make sure that we're not remembering D.L. Moody because he did great things. We're remembering D.L. Moody because God did great things through him. Yes, indeed. You you address another issue, and it's a real challenge in Christianity today, and it's that of discernment. How critical do you see this trait as it relates to Christian resistance? I think it's pretty, I mean, I think it's really crucial. Discernment is one of those attributes that we have to develop more robustly in the Christian faith. Uh, I think that if we can't discern between good and evil, we will always be at risk of, you know, as Isaiah says, uh, calling evil good and good evil. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there needs to be a real deep sense in which we step back and say that discernment is one of our primary weapons, so to speak, as we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and authorities um, that, you know, the rulers and, and principalities. Um, we have to be able to discern when it is that we are walking in God's wisdom and when it is that we aren't. And that part of this is really important because we'll end up, if we don't have that kind of discernment, it's very possible for us to end up resisting God more than we're resisting the world. Yeah, indeed. 
one of the buzzwords of today, as you know, is the word inclusion, and it's often coupled with words like diversity and equity. But you've got a chapter on inclusion, so tell us what you're getting at. Well, there's definitely a play on that, uh, on that sort of the popularity of that term. But what I mean by it is that Jesus includes himself with everyone. And so if we watch Jesus in his ministry, Jesus doesn't shy away from the people who are on the outskirts of society. He doesn't shy away from prostitutes and tax collectors who would have been really at the margins of that day's society, like the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were very much opposed to meeting with these people. They found them to be um, unclean and unsanitary and just, um, you know, the dregs of society. But Jesus includes himself with them. And, and I think that it's possible for us to include ourselves with others, but not without the sort of um, qualification that just as Jesus includes himself with tax collectors and sinners, and they can participate in Jesus' ministry to the extent that Jesus is going to explain to them and convey to them that they are sinners in need of a Savior, that ultimately to be included with Jesus, to be included in the body of Christ, we give ourselves up, including all of those sins that we've, you know, been practicing our entire lives. We give ourselves up, and we take on the task of becoming more like Christ. Hmm. And so as I think about inclusion, I, I just wanted to put that chapter in there, because I think it's really important for Christians to understand the distinction of including ourselves with sinners, recognizing that we also are sinners, but that we have something that all sinners need to hear. And that's the gospel. Yeah. And the gospel is going to have implications for them that ultimately they may reject. Right? Not everybody gets to be in union with Christ, but everybody gets to meet Christ and hear the gospel. What role does accountability have in all of this, this matter of resistance? Yeah. I think uh, accountability is um, it's one of those things that we can often think of it as sort of a, a moral accountability, right? Let me just make sure that you're doing the right things. And uh, let me make sure you're not doing the wrong things, <laughs> right? But when I think about accountability, what I think about is uh, how is it that we are utilizing our God-given gifts and talents to build the body of Christ at any given moment? Mm-hmm. And that goes well beyond, you know, are you falling into moral failure? It includes it, but it goes beyond it. And so I think accountability is really crucial because I don't think Christian resistance is something that we develop wholly through our own individual sort of work. I think it requires the community of faith to come around us and help us to understand what it means to resist the world, what it means to follow Christ. And that requires that level of accountability, what we need every member functioning well, as opposed to just having, you know, sort of members attached but they're not really doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. And so accountability to me is that how are we proactively encouraging one another? How are we getting one another to actually contribute to the body of Christ based on the God-given gifts that we've been given? Friends, we're going to open our phone lines here, and if you have a question you'd like to ask on this matter of Christian resistance that's learning to defy the world and follow Christ, or a brief comment on what's been discussed, our telephone number here at Across Talk is 800-733-9829. That's 1-800-733-9829. Uh, there's more certainly we can discuss in the book, but wanted to give you opportunity as well to call in and ask questions. Um, James, you, you mentioned that, uh, uh, well, we talked about distractions earlier, and you actually have a campaign, Go Dark, Shine Bright. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Go Dark, Shine Bright is a uh, really a 10-day challenge where we encourage believers to take some time away from what I'll call uh, recreational media or voluntary media. And it, it's media that um, they would recognize in their lives that is um, really unnecessary, that it's taking away time from uh, spending time with God in prayer or, or through His Word. And so we call people to a, a five-day social media fast um, and a, a five-day voluntary media fast, where they're going to avoid those distractions just by completely setting them aside and going through a sequence of uh, Bible studies and prayer time. Hmm. 
Then after that five days, we also encourage them to go back out onto their media outlets, go back into social media, and proclaim Christ on their social media. Tell people how their five-day fast went, tell them how they met God in a different way during those five days, and really offer a testimony um, to their social networks, whether that be digitally or in person, uh, and proclaim Christ in those next five days. Yeah, those things can be part of the distractions, can they not? They definitely can, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, our lines are uh, packed here, so let's go right to them. We've got Paul calling in from Phoenix, Arizona. Paul, you're on the air. A great show, gentlemen. Thank you for it. Very challenging and apropos at this time. Uh, James, you mentioned in Genesis there's three things that we need to keep in mind when it comes to the character of God. His sovereignty, his goodness, and I missed the middle one, sir. Oh, his wisdom. His wisdom. Thank you. Yep. Absolutely. And is, there, is there a way that we can get a recording of this show? Uh, yeah, two ways. Uh, number one, it's uh, we will be posting it within just a couple of hours from now at crosstalkamerica.com. It's available for you to freely download and, and re-listen to it. If you want a hard copy, a CD, we do make them available for a donation of $6 to cover the uh, CD, the, the, the copying and postage expense, and that's available by calling one 800 729-9829. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Great. Thanks for the call. We've got Michelle next in Ohio. Hi, Michelle. You're on the air. Good afternoon. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoying the show. Um, I have a question, and it's been a question I've been asking a lot of people for some time now, and it has to do with this Christian resistance. Instead, let's follow Christ. I've went to six different churches trying to find one that still preaches the Word. It's very hard to find now. And the world is making fun of us all the time because all of the traditions and participation that we do in all of their pagan holidays, we can't even turn down those. How are we ever going to truly stand for what the Word of God is and stop grieving God and open ourselves up? for a real revival across this land. we got to stop worshiping other gods. Hmm. And, and we accept it, and we don't resist it, and we participate in it. And I'd like to know why, when all the scholars know clearly these things did not come from God, and we tried to slap Christianity tags on them, and here we are, wondering why the fastest-growing religion in America is paganism. Well, thank you, Michelle, for that. Uh, James? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, there's a few things I'd say to that. Number one is this idea of syncretism, where what, mm. what we really see in America is a growing trend, is that people don't have a consistent worldview. Um, they have what's called a syncretistic worldview, or a worldview that cobbles together multiple different worldviews as it suits their fancy. And so I think that's becoming an increasing challenge within Christian, the Christian world and Christian churches. And so we have to be careful with that. That's where we need to be very, very discerning about these things. The other thing that I believe that I, I, I recall writing in the book um, is in the idea of coordination. And, uh, and part of what we need to do is really focus in and get together on some of these things. Coordination, getting together with these. Thank you so very much for the call. We're up against a break, and uh, we'll come back to more of your phone calls here on Crosstalk, where our number is 800 733 9829. The book is called Christian Resistance Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. We hear the term transhumanism an awful lot today, but what is transhumanism? Transhumanism is really the new name for eugenics. Eugenics declares that only certain people should be allowed to procreate. Other people should be sterilized or their children should be aborted. This was promoted largely by Julian Huxley. In fact, he's credited with being the one to coin the term transhumanism. He was the first executive director of the United Nations Education Scientific Cultural Organization. He wrote in one of his papers in the 40s that we needed to start thinking about eugenics so that the impossible would one day become possible. And there's more and more talk now on who should be allowed to have children and who should not. There have even been those who have talked about the idea of licensing parents or putting sterilants in the water and the government decides who can procreate. Transhumanism is eugenics. 
You're tuned to Crosstalk on VCY America. Let me just repeat some of those sites that our guests gave. UsefulToGod.org, MoodyCenter.org, and the book available through Amazon. And uh, let's go to um, back to the phone lines here. We have an anonymous caller from Wisconsin Rapids. Hi, caller. Go ahead. You're on the air. Yes. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm a very old person, um, 89 years old to be exact. Mm-hmm. And I admit, I, I believe in Jesus. I was raised a Christian. And, but I admit to a lifetime of uh, human sins. But I'm also a very strong pro-life person. And I was wondering if my pro-life stand would uh, offset a lot of the sins that I've committed in my life. Thank you. Okay, thank you for calling in. Uh, James, does God use this this balance scale on, on that, or does our good outweigh our, our sinful life? I was going to say, the beautiful part about God's forgiveness is that there's no need for any of our good acts to outweigh our bad. Hmm. Um, Christ, Christ's blood and his sacrifice covers all of our sins mm-hmm. so that we don't have to worry about whether or not some of the good things that we've done will cover over our sins. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd point just to First John 1, 9. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession of sin, the, the performance of sin and the confession of sin is one of the marks of the Christian life because we're so committed to the truth. Yeah. And so we just we get to live in the joy of Christ's forgiveness regardless of anything that we've done. And uh, and we get to perform good works, uh, in, in keeping with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, yeah, I don't think it outweighs. You don't need it to outweigh anything. Um, and that's the that's the more important part. You don't need it to outweigh anything. And and just I want to add this little caveat as well because we didn't give you opportunity to find what you mean by Christian. You raised up Christian, but uh, because there are many different definitions today, but we're talking about that, that first step, and that is placing your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Certainly, it's it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But it's according to his mercy, he saved us. So it's not trusting in things that we have done, as you mentioned, that those pro-life works, but it's trusting in that finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who died on the cross, shed his blood. He died, he was buried, he rose again. That's the good news of the gospel. And James, I'm sure you would agree, it's putting our trust in in, in Jesus Christ alone for salvation that that gives us that that, uh, that 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 victory over, you know, the feelings like, am I going to make it or not? Well put, and I, I 100% agree. Great. Yes. Thank you for the call. Anne is calling from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Anne, you're on the air. Yes, I want to just thank you, James. Everything you said uh, that has been the scripture out of the Bible is so succinct and just gives pure freedom. It's all freedom. But what my question is, is in terms of resistance, I have been coming up against Christians who resist other Christians, and they can get so nasty, and I'm blown away by it, and I, I can say just on a personal level, I've been hurt the most by other Christians. I'm a born-again believer. Um, I was not raised in the church. I had a supernatural sobering, uh, you know, encounter with Jesus, and I'm in love with him, but other Christians with this whole rapture thing, or with someone being a new Christian and trying to almost for lack of a better word, bully them. Like, oh, you're just a baby. You're drinking milk. You don't know meat. And they start to take over and crush spirits. Thank you for that question. James? Yeah, I, uh, I, I will admit that I resonate with that. I think that when I first became a Christian, I was, it took me uh, very relatively little time to learn to love Jesus. It took me a lot longer time to learn to love the Church. Hmm. And so my encouragement is just to persevere I recognize that, um, you know, all sorts of people can hurt us and can, um, you know, cause us pain. Um, but the reality is that as Christ calls us, we are members of the body of Christ. Yeah. And so sometimes that's going to mean that we assert ourselves within the body. Sometimes it's going to mean that we um, turn the other cheek and hope that other people uh, recognize that they have hurt us and will change their ways. Um, but I think it's 
what I would tell you is that it is absolutely worth the effort to love the body of Christ. Thank you for the call here. And one of the things we did not get into uh, today in the interview, but he does address in the book, is the topic of imitation and uh, following Christ, imitating Christ, how important that is, taking, you know, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. Let's go to Ed in Oregon. Ed, you're on the air. Hello, Ed. Ed, listen to your phone, please. Yes, I've got it. Okay. Uh, excuse me. I, I want to uh, thank you, Dr. Spencer, because I came to the Lord late. I was 38 years old, and mm-hmm. I used to listen to Moody Radio in Wisconsin, and uh, I miss Pastor Donald Cole, Radio Pastor of the Air. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got to go through memory thing, but 34 years ago, I witnessed, uh, my family and I witnessed to a young man uh, who was 10 years old and came down with uh, lung cancer and for three years, we met him in the, in the Children's Hospital in Milwaukee, and the last time we met, met with him, uh, I still remember, he said, I just re- I just wished I'd known Jesus sooner, and we went to his funeral the next week, and that right. bothers me a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the call. And let's uh, squeeze Kay in here from Kansas. Uh, Kay, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes. Thank you so much for um, bringing up this topic. Um, when I uh, think of Christian resistance, where I see the um, biggest um, problem with that is in the area of justice and righteousness. And um, I tie that to a verse in Amos, uh, Amos 5, verses 23 and 24, that says, Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Um, I, I think that um, there's a lot of resistance to uh, what God deems as justice and righteousness, and we see where we are in this land. Right? Indeed, and I'm sorry to cut you off. We're down to less than 30 seconds. A final comment here, James, if you would. Uh, just my encouragement on that is to recognize that in that passage what's really going on is that the Israelites are chasing after things that would defy justice and righteousness. They're going after greed. They're going after worldly material goods. And those are some of the things that we need to be resisting as Christians. Amen. Thank you for the call. And sorry, again, we had to cut you short, but we are out of time. Christian resistance, learning to defy the world and follow Christ. Dr. James Spencer with us. And James, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thanks for having me. Friends, uh, check out MoodyCenter.org and UsefulToGod.org. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208, or download by RSS or podcast from CrosstalkAmerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.